blessed Lord who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now today we're going to have a number of scripture readings. This, this one's going to feel a little more like a Bible study. And uh, so I hope that you'll join me with your Bibles. Get your Bibles out, get your Bible apps, your various devices, whatever it takes for you to join in the scripture reading. And uh, we're going to begin, though, with the principal reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. And we're going to read verses 1 to 9. And these are the words of our Lord Jesus. So let's start with these precious words from John 17, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I want to come back to that one phrase that was there in the midst of that reading and ask you to consider this. What do you suppose it means when Jesus says, and this is eternal life? that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What does that mean to you? Think about that for a moment as we get ready to delve into this remarkable book of Ephesians, which should help us to uh, expose a greater understanding of that passage. He Jesus is saying to us that his eternal purpose has been that they may know you, God the Father, they being us, and to understand that he is the only true God and that his son Jesus Christ is our redeemer. More than that, he is the bridegroom now, I want to turn immediately to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Like I said, we're going to be heavy on Scripture today, and there's a purpose to this. It will help us to understand 
the real meaning of the second coming, the real purpose of the second coming, and it should make us excited rather than filled with dread about a bunch of terrible things that are described after the church is already in the presence of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, we're reading Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I've learned recently, by the way, before I go any further, that this book is addressed to Ephesians, but that's probably not correct. Now, what I mean is, is that it is addressed to the church at Ephesus, and that part is correct, but this is a form letter. In effect, Paul wrote this letter to all of the churches, and each one had a cover letter or a cover page that said, to the church at Ephesus, or to the church at Smyrna, or to the church at Laodicea. You see, each of these received a copy of this letter. And this piece of information that is contained is a universal message that wasn't directed specifically and uniquely to the church at Ephesus. Now that's important because when we look at the Revelation letters to the seven churches, we begin to understand that we are part of this recipient list. You know, that, that this message is for us too. Let us continue, Ephesians 1 at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's with a capital B, by the way, meaning Christ Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise and glory of God. Now, think about what Jesus said while he was on earth as he prayed that this is eternal life, that they might know the one and only true God 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This was the plan from before the beginning. Remember in John's gospel that we just read, Jesus said, I'm going back to you to be with you like I was before all things were made. So what is the purpose so far defined by Jesus and now in the revelation to Paul that we read in this extract from Ephesians? The purpose is to complete what was begun before creation was even started. God predestined. Now, there have been other interpretations of that term predestined, but what I'm interpreting it to mean here is that it was always God's plan that we would be united with him, bound to him in a way that was as unique as his only son. Now, we're going to read in a minute a little further that that is what God has revealed to Paul, that we are this, this great mystery, this purpose of God, eternal purpose of God, is that we might be restored to union with God, but in the same way that Eve was in union with Adam. That is extracted from Adam and therefore one with Adam in a way that is unique. Jesus, the new Adam, the new creation of humanity. Let's turn now to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11, and take this just a little bit further. Now, in Ephesians 3, starting at verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, that's everybody who's not a Jew, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that, has, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see what Paul's saying there? That this was a mystery, but it isn't a mystery any longer. It's been revealed and he's telling us what he has learned in this particular revelation as Paul is explaining that God's eternal purpose was that all of creation, even the angelic beings, even those fallen angelic beings, would come to realize that this was God's plan all along, that the people called the church, the capital C Church, the body of Christ. In other words, those who have chosen to be united with the Son in a sacred union that is often described in Scripture as a marriage. So now I want to take you to another place of study, and that is from a book that I've been reading and I've had the privilege of getting acquainted with the author lately. And, and this, is, this is a book and, and you know, whenever you start putting quotes from books in your notes, you have to create citations in order to be faithful to an academic process and a legal process. And so what I wanna encourage you to do is pick up a copy of this book from Eternity to Here by Frank Viola and 
you will be blown away as you read this book that is basically all about God's eternal purpose. But I want to share some extracts from it because Frank describes the relationship between the ancient Jewish wedding, which is basically defined by scripture, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and what we're experiencing in the second coming of Christ. So the first thing that we recognize is that the groom's father is the one who arranges the marriage. And there's a great deal of forethought and deliberation that goes into this decision as he selects a bride that is suitable for his son. That passage that we just read says that that was done by heavenly, the Heavenly Father before creation began. The groom makes a proposal to the young woman. He does so by giving her father a marital contract for betrothal. To test if, it is, if the proposal is accepted, the groom pours a cup of wine, slides it over to the young woman, and if she accepts, she will drink from it. And if she wants to wait for another man, she will slide it away. And Jesus took the cup and he gave it to his apostles and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant made in my blood. And when you drink of it, you have accepted the covenant. You see what's going on there? If the young woman accepts the proposal, the groom pays a price for her. The price for the bride is called the dowry. And he gives the dowry to the father. 1 Corinthians and 1 Peter both tell us that we were bought with a price. That Christ has paid the penalty for our sin. We've heard that many, many times. But what we ought to hear as well is that we were bought with a price. So that the completion of the covenant with the Heavenly Father would be settled in that purchase price. Next, the bridegroom presents the bride with special gifts. The purpose of these gifts is to show the bridegroom's appreciation for his bride. They are also intended to help her remember him during the long betrothal period. Some of these gifts may be garments to be used for the bridal chamber. The gifts enhance the bride's beauty. Do you ever wonder about the spiritual gifts that you've heard so much about in the New Testament? We are given spiritual gifts. We're given the Holy Spirit as a gift so that we might remember our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, as he goes to prepare a place for us and we wait for him to come. And these gifts would be our constant reminder. And the gifts of others might serve as constant reminders. Perhaps the spiritual gift or anointing that comes on this preacher might be a reminder for you that your bridegroom hasn't forgotten you. He's coming for you. The couple is now officially betrothed and they separately take a ritual bath as a symbol of the spiritual cleansing. She is called his bride and he is called her bridegroom and they are legally bound. And to separate, they must go through a divorce. Now, we go through a baptism in order that we might be spiritually Awaken to our new life in Christ, and baptism is in the water 
like a ritual bath that seals the new covenant in us. And isn't it interesting that it would require a divorce to separate us? Do you remember Jesus when he said that the one unpardonable sin was to reject the Holy Spirit? In effect, the one thing that would separate you from Christ after having been baptized and born again is if you were to somehow mentally, emotionally, and God forbid, spiritually divorce yourself from Christ. This is the unpardonable sin. It is, in effect, to separate yourself from that predestination, or that is to say that that preordained desire of God that, unite, that you would unite with his son and become a unique creation through him as the consummation comes after the second coming of Christ. The bridegroom begins to prepare a bridal chamber for his new bride in the father's house, and the bridal chamber is where the bride and the bridegroom will consummate their marriage. The chamber will be their honeymoon suite, and it must be beautiful. And it has to meet the specifications of the bridegroom's father. Every funeral I've ever done, I always read these reassuring words, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is all going according to plan, you see. Everything is going according to God's plan, which was established before creation. Now when the bridegroom finishes the bridal chamber, he returns for his bride. She will be alerted of the general time of his coming, but she will not be told the day nor the hour. She will receive a cleansing bath and will wait for her groom dressed in her bridal array. She will be lavishly decked out with fine garments to enhance her beauty, and the bridegroom and his party will arrive in the night to take his bride away to himself. And he will be outfitted with his best clothes, and he will wear a crown upon his head. And the bride and her bridesmaids will wait each night for the bridegroom to come for her with oil in their lamps. Remember Jesus said, the ones who are prepared have their oil in their lamps and they're ready to go. He was referring to this ancient tradition of the bridegroom coming for his bride. When the bridegroom and his party are close to home of the home of the bride, the bridegroom will utter a shout and blow the shofar. Listen to this, 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is explaining this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will raise first. So you see, the second coming is the bridegroom coming for his bride with a shout and a trumpet blast. And his entourage are those who have died and have been raised to join his entourage to come for the living bride on earth. The bridegroom will take his bride to the bridal chamber and the best man will be waiting outside the chamber to listen for the voice of the bridegroom to announce the consummation of the marriage. And once the marriage is consummated, the wedding guests will celebrate, but the bridegroom and the bride will remain in the chamber for seven days. 
And the wedding guests and the families of the bride and bridegroom will continue to celebrate as they wait inside the house for, a couple to leave, for the couple to leave the chamber. And so this seven days, this period of seven, while the bridegroom is with the bride and the celebration is going on, is perhaps related to all those eerie and terrible events that we spend a, way too much time worrying about when we are reading in the book of Revelation. After the seven days are over, the bride and the bridegroom will come out of the bridal chamber and the marriage supper will begin with all the wedding guests and the bride is no longer a bride. She is now the wife of the bridegroom. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this absolutely gorgeous? Do you see that there is an eternal purpose in all that God does? In fact, that God is fulfilling everything God planned even now. And you need to have your lamps oiled up, so to speak. You need to be ready for the coming of your bridegroom because it's not long. It's not long at all. And this, again, is not something that a bunch of Christian uh, uh, rubberneckers who like to look at wrecks on the side of the road. This is not something for a bunch of sensationalists to generate donations and, and, and all kinds of, of, of uh, likes on Facebook and all kinds of, of uh, subscribers on YouTube. This isn't about that at all. What we're looking for is something to be joyful about and excited about. And we do this from the privacy of our home as we have prepared ourselves for the coming of our bridegroom. And we don't need to spend a lot of time fretting and worrying over ugly, terrible, horrible things that are prophesied for what Jesus, remember, he said in his own words as we read them in John, uh, John 17. Let's just go back to that really quick. Remember in John 17, Jesus said... Right around verse 9, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them to know in truth that I came from you. And then in verse 9, Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus isn't being cruel. He's saying that the only ones he's concerned about at this point are those who have accepted the betrothal, who have joined in the covenant with Christ that will culminate in his return, the trumpet shout, the entourage, the trip to the father's house where the room has been prepared for him and his bride for the consummation and for the celebration. This is good news. This is exciting news. What is the purpose of Christ's second coming? Well, pretty simple, isn't it? He's coming to collect his bride. He's coming to collect his bride. Yes, when we recite the words to the Apostles' Creed, we will say that he's coming to judge the living and the dead. But this is not entirely the way that Paul would have us interpret it. Paul wants us to understand that he will come, Jesus, to 
attend to us as he would his bride. That is making ready for us to live with him in the marriage covenant. And so there is this sort of uh, uh, Christ judgment of the church that is referred to in Christian culture and in the scripture. This is not the same as the great white throne day of judgment where God will separate those who are his own from those who have rejected his son. So what we're referring to then in the second coming as Christ's judgment of the living and the dead is certainly going to happen, but what happens for us, the bride is so much more uh, worth celebrating and focusing on. It's so much more joyful and hopeful. It's so much more uh, practical to interpret these things and to focus on these things. Look forward to his coming again, not those things that will come upon the world that doesn't know him. Look forward to his coming again and anticipate what is ready and being prepared for you now in heaven, in the Father's house. Look forward to a life of total unity with God through Christ the Son in the future that follows all of the judgment-related wrath events. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts that we might be changed forever by this amazing good news, this incredible, exciting anticipation of your son's time of coming to us to collect us and bring us back to your house where we will live with you as sons and daughters forever. And we look forward to this, Lord, and we pray that if our spirits are fearful, if our spirits are reluctant and doubtful, that you might open our hearts and minds and penetrate with your Holy Spirit so that we might see the truth and embrace the love and the grace that you have for us. Amen.